In this episode, we're talking with Tracy Gillett, founder, writer, and advocate behind the award-winning blog, Raise Good, a guide to natural parenting in the modern world. And today, we're going to be chatting all about punishments, timeouts, and rewards, and why conditional parenting doesn't work. Today, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today, the Kabi Kabi and Gubbi Gubbi people. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place, and we recognise the Aboriginal people as the original custodians of this land and acknowledge that they have never ceded sovereignty. We respect all Gubbi Gubbi elders, ancestors and emerging elders and any other First Nations people listening today. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Hello and welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Farrell. Before we start, I just wanted to pop in and say that if you are curious about starting a nature play business or forest school like Wildlings, then you will definitely want to check out our signature online course, Your Wild Business. It's a business Kickstarter program like no other. It's specifically designed for teachers, forest school leaders, outdoor recce's and early years educators who are ready to take the leap into the big wide world of owning their own business. So if you want to take the guesswork out of starting from scratch and more importantly, if you want to avoid the three most common mistakes others have made when they started their nature play business, then head over to raisingwildlings.com.au forward slash wild business and check out our exclusive training to get you started on the right path towards your wild business journey. Here, we'll also share with you our proven seed sprout blossom framework that will help you create a nature play business deeply rooted in community, values and purpose. So again, head to raisingwildlings.com forward slash wild business to check it out. Good morning and welcome to the show, Tracy. How are you today? I'm great. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, likewise. I was just saying, raving about how much we love your social media and your website is just beautiful and it just it's so heart-centered. So I'm just so excited to have you on to speak all things um, parenting. Can't wait. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'd love to hear to start with um, all about your journey on how you ended up starting Raise Good because I know quite often uh, when we become parents, we are cracked wide open and quite often we're, we're almost born again or a new version of us appears. So can you walk us through what was happening before Raise Good started and then why and how you started Raise Good? Yeah, I think you're so right in that, Nikki, in terms of, um, yeah, parenting just changes everything, doesn't it? It's uh, I say I think having my son has uh, taught me more than a lifetime of therapy ever could. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's something that really changes us when we're open to it, you know, and I think that's part of it is being open to that change. Uh, but getting back to how I started Raise Good. I I had no intention of ever starting a blog. I come from a science background, so I was a veterinarian for many years and we were talking before we started, you're on the Sunshine Coast and I went through UQ in Brisbane and and so I was very much down that route. I never paid much attention in English class and wasn't particularly interested in writing. 
Um, but then when we started trying to get pregnant, it was a long road and we were faced with fertility struggles and it took us three years to get pregnant. And I dove so much into that world of fertility and uh, read every book I could and went to see every acupuncturist and hypnotherapist and naturopath and nutritionist and did all the things. And I really wanted to share what I had learned um, with other women who were trying to get pregnant as well once I got through that journey. But of course, once I got through that and finally did fall pregnant, then my attention turned very quickly to my baby. And I was was sort of headed down that natural path anyway, but I talk about on my blog that my midwife really, uh, you know, encouraged me to bed share. And that's where it started was with co-sleeping. And that was something that really surprised me. We had the crib, we had the, you know, lovely little crib sheets and um, teddy bears and all that stuff. And um, the baby room set up and and it really kind of changed my world thinking about co-sleeping and then um, full-term breastfeeding and things like this. And it really brought me so much joy and so much connection. And other mums started commenting to me that they would say, you know, you, I want to be as happy as you look, you know, why, what's, what's going on here? And all mums are exhausted when they become new mums. There's no, there's no escaping that. There's no get out of jail free card or shortcut to avoiding that. But I didn't feel um, defeated like I found so many mums did when they were really following that conventional path. And so I wanted to share what I'd learned. And so I started, uh, I started writing about my experience, started on my phone when I had been nursing my baby to sleep for his nap. And, and I discovered that I had a real love for writing. And so I took a writing course and I started going in blogging competitions and I won a couple and um, yeah, and it just really started from there and it kind of snowballed and grew faster than I was ever expecting. So that's sort of how it originally started. Amazing. When did you decide to go full-time with Raise Good versus veterinary studies and, and work? Oh, I'd already given up working in the vet clinic before that. So I, I worked in vet practice for about 10 years and um, in Australia, I moved back to Melbourne uh, worked there and then I lived in London in the UK and worked in vet clinics and hospitals there. And then we moved back to New Zealand. My husband's from New Zealand. So I went and lived in Auckland for a while and I'd already gotten out of vet practice. Um, I love animals and I, I miss that deeply, but from a mental health perspective, the veterinary profession is very difficult and um, so that was really the reason that I left that profession. So I was, I sort of had a, a day job and I still do have a day job, <laughs> I'd be surprised to hear, uh, which is, you know, it's remote based. So it allows me to have a, a side gig going on. And yeah, a lot of it was at, at night time and nap times and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I would love for this to be a full-time thing. The mother hours, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a passion project, you know? Yeah, there's something about that, again, that cracking open again, that I, I know so many mothers and fathers that have had that burst of creativity and and I guess the time to sit with it and really feel the burn of it to then just dabble in it enough to go, oh, actually, this could be this could be something. So that's super exciting. And I would love to see your work just 
keep growing so that it could be your, well, if you want full-time, who knows? I don't think anyone should work full-time. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's all, yeah, that four-hour work week kind of idea. I love that book, read that yeah. years ago, and that's that's the dream, isn't it? That's yeah. the dream. Not there yeah. by any means yet, but working towards it. I'm slowly trying to cut back the hours every year, and I, I think, gosh, every hour makes a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, Absolutely. As a business owner then, Tracy, what's your favorite part of owning your own business? And on the flip side of that, what's your least favorite? Uh, well, I think my favorite part is just the impact that I can make. I've always wanted to stand up for those that don't have a voice. I you know, became vegetarian when I was a young teenager and um, I was very into you know advocating for animals. And, and then when I became a parent, I realized that children were a minority that I didn't know existed and that often don't get treated with the same respect that adults do. Mm. And so I kind of see this work as activism, you know, particularly, you know, around the sleep training kind of thing. I see that as a real human rights violation when we um, leave babies to cry alone in a room. And I think shining a light on that and bravely just saying like that we can do better than this and we need to do better than this. Um, for our kids' mental and emotional health. So really sort of seeing it as advocacy work and making the world a bit of a better place, um, if I can, and just making a difference in lives of mothers and um, just the emails and comments and um, discussions that I have with parents that say, like, they read some words of mine and it just made them feel less alone and made them feel seen and um, gave them the courage to follow their heart. I think that's probably the thing that lights me up the most about what I do. Mm, uh, it's it's world changing work. It it really is. I think when we we change those generational cycles and patterns in parenting, we just allow children to be who they're truly meant to be without fear and and with respect. And oh, gives me goosebumps thinking about the change that can happen by doing that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how many of us are, you know, if you go go to see a, a counsellor or a psychologist or whatever as an adult, like how much of the session is spent talking about our childhoods? <laughs> you know, we all go back to that. And how much time do we spend trying to get back to who it was we were, you know, that authentic self? And if we can, we're not going to get it right and it's not about being perfect, but if we can just improve a little bit on that and make it easier for our kids when they grow up, then yeah, how much better could we make the world? And if they're more, you know, both of us, I know are passionate about um, mother nature and if they can be more connected to our planet, like that's the thing that's, that that's where I see like kind of my um, passion for environmentalism and animal conservation and all that stuff coming into it, thinking if we, if we can raise a generation that's more connected to those things, then they're going to make a difference too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, I often joke with, with my husband and friends, like, God, I wonder what it is that our kids will go to therapy for about us. <laughs> it makes yeah. them really think about the things that we're doing that, that may trigger that and what we can do about that now, rather than in 30 years time going, oh, whoops, sorry, you know, know better, do better. You know, what, what can we know better now and how can we do better now so that we can form those connections with our own children and then with the planet and, and leave that that mark and that childhood be a nicer place and therefore their their journey be a little bit easier. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that, 
Yeah, that Maya Angelou quote that you were kind of saying was, yeah, when you know better, do better. And and I think she also says, and then I I can't remember it exactly, but she she basically says, and then don't beat yourself up for what you didn't know yeah. when you didn't know it. Um, That's it. There's that thing there's no like, shame and guilt. Yeah, if you don't discover this stuff until later or, you know, you see a blog post that's like the 10 benefits of, you know, breastfeeding toddlers or the whatever, like I didn't end up having a natural birth, like, you know, and I, and I can see the 10 benefits of natural birth, like whatever, like you can't go back in time and and having that guilt now and and or even shame or sticking in that, that doesn't serve your child in that moment. So I think... Yeah, just always having self-compassion for that. We're always going to be learning. Mm. And some things we're not going to know until, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? So <laughs> yeah. I think just doing the best we can at the time. Yeah. And and being open to that learning, I think, because that's the other thing. It's very easy and, and perhaps I'm not, I don't want to paint an entire generation, but perhaps previous generations might find it difficult to admit their, not mistakes, but that they didn't know you know, how I'm putting this delicately. <laughs> but, you know, with the whole spanking thing and things like that, it, it was, I know for, for my family, it was, it's still not, we didn't know. It was still, you turned out all right. I'm like, well, did I? Did we? <laughs> I'm not so sure. But, um, yeah, there's, I still feel like there's this gap between what we do know and we do know that. We do know from all all the research that, you know, spanking is not good for our children and yet there's still not an admittance of, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that they knew better then, but just saying that there's better ways to do it now, I guess is where I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's, yeah, it's it's hard for um, uh, people in, in that, that grew up in those generations because they grew up with shame and blame. And to think that admitting to make a mistake, you know, what what was it like for them if they admitted to a mistake when they were a kid? They just tried to avoid it, yeah. <laughs> hide it. Um, so true. And so they're thinking that they're going to be met with the same thing from us. So I think it's really trying to break that shame-blame cycle and, um, yeah, and, you know, talking to our own parents and saying, like, I know that you loved me and I know that you tried your absolute best and I can't believe what amazing job you did. And at the same time, some of the things didn't go so well and I'm changing some of those things now. And and I mean, even, um, yeah, taking some of the, some of the heat out of it and, and letting them know that there's no blame coming from us, but we're not going to continue to do that same thing. Yeah. And I know, I think you've had Nathan Wallace on the podcast as well. Um, you know, he talks about the 1990s being the decade of the brain that we learned more about the brain in the 1990s than we did like forever before that. And that's because we had things like CT scans and MRI scans and stuff. And so letting our parents and grandparents know, like, we learned so much. Like, how awesome is it that we can do better? Like, you guys didn't know this stuff then, but we do now. Imagine what our children are going to know that we don't now. It just blows my mind how quickly we're evolving and what we're learning so, so quickly. I can't wait to see how much more they know and how much better that they'll be able to parent with the knowledge that they have it's to be kinder and respectful and and just more aware it's exciting yeah yeah it sure is mm. okay back to the question the rest of it what's the <laughs> yeah. least favorite part of running your own business 
Um, just not being able to do it all. Like <laughs> I, I just have too many ideas that just come every day. Like, oh, I want to do this thing or that thing. And um, I remember I was raised Catholic and you do um, confirmation when you're in grade three, like when you're about eight or something and you've got to choose like a virtue that you want, you know, want to be helped with. And even at that age, my mum said, you must choose patience. And um, <laughs> so now, now I'm just impatient at wanting to like do all the things and do it now. Um, so I think, yeah, probably the the thing that I like least about it is the overwhelm. And also, you know, being like a small online business owner, it's you're wearing all the hats, you know, and doing all the things. Um, and yeah, so my, my real um, aim, what I really want to happen is to be able to grow. You know, I, I do have a team. I have people that help me and um, but to be able to really grow that more and to let some of some of the things that I don't need to do go and so that I can spend more time on the things that I really enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just that constant juggle and, and the juggle between something that you're so passionate about. Um, like my day job, I don't, I don't really mind about that. Like I can leave that, yeah. um, switch off from that easily, but I find it very hard to switch off from something like this that I'm so passionate about. And then to, for my life to be separate, you know, and to have proper downtime and time away from it. Cause when I'm out doing something that, Oh, there's an idea for raise good. So yeah, that's probably the hardest thing. It means it's purposeful. That's, a, that's what I tell myself anyway. It must be good. It must it must be purposeful. If it, yeah. Like if if I think about it all the time, even even in that downtime and rest time, I've had two weeks off, and um, which has been great to come back and recharged and re inspired. So I'm excited about that. But like you said, even when you're off, it's, you're still. Oh, what about this? What about this? I've just signed up, applied for two guest speaking gigs, and knowing full well that on my things this year of list my word this year was was slow <laughs> yeah. first thing I did first day back in the first hour I'm just gonna apply for these things that I know I probably shouldn't <laughs> yeah time for because yeah like you said that passion and that purpose is is um it's hard to stop I guess but yeah mm. yeah I totally understand that I'm often the same I'm kind of yeah, no, knowing that, and then at the same time, just doing something and thinking, I'm going to kick myself later. Yeah. But I'll just do it, <laughs> and I'll figure it out later. <laughs> in my head, what will be will be. But you're making this be. <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, well, future me will hate me, but right now I'm feeling, feeling um, inspired, so I'll roll with yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, let's switch to. There was a quote on your one of your social medias uh, on your Instagram account, and it was something along the lines of no timeouts, spanking, consequence, threats, rewards, or bribes. And that just, I went, wow, yes, amazing. And then, yeah. oh, I'm in this. I'm in this deeply and believe in it deeply. I was like, oh, but fuck, how? Excuse <laughs> 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 the French. So can you please expand on why? Banking timeouts, consequences, threats, and rewards and bribes don't work for children, and also why they don't work for parents. Because I think a lot of us either don't realize that or tend to forget in the moment that they don't work for us too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it, it like it's such a huge question, um, and I think it depends on what you think of as working, 
you know, these things do work uh, in the short term to get compliance and obedience out of little kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you put a little kid in a timeout, um, the biggest need that a child has is to be connected to their primary attachment figure. So if you're saying you're not welcome in my presence because of your behavior and I'm going to put you in your room and you're going to be in timeout and the idea is that you're going to go in there and you're going to think about what you did wrong <laughs> and then come back you know, when you're ready to join the family, when you've got better behavior, um, that kid isn't in there thinking about what they supposedly did wrong, which in all likelihood is probably just developmentally normal behavior. Mm. But as us adults don't sort of understand a lot of that, um, uh, they are just desperately trying to get the connection back to the grown up. So they'll do just about anything to get that connection back. You know, when we're at the playground and we're like, well, I'm going to count to three and and then we're going one, two, three, and then, oh, that worked really well, didn't it? All we have to do is count to three because they're scared of that abandonment. They're not learning anything. Um, They're just scared. Um, And, you know, when we punish kids for things, when we make up random consequences, like if you do this, then I'm going to take away that toy or take away the iPad or no TV or some random thing. You know, we would never do that to our partners. Can you imagine? If our partners lost the keys to the car and we're like, well, if you can't find the keys in five minutes, then I'm taking away your phone. You can imagine how long <laughs> your marriage would last. Like, uh. so if we wouldn't do these things, that's kind of the litmus test of if you wouldn't do those things to another adult, if you don't think you'd get away with it with another adult, then we shouldn't be doing it with kids. Mm, um, I love that. And I think there's quotes that go around too, aren't there, like um, with regards to spanking. And we make up this word spanking specifically for children as if to make it better. Yeah. Um, but if it's against another adult, then it's assault. Yeah. And if it's against, if it's within a relationship, then it's domestic abuse. Mm. Um but we make up these words like consequences um, and, yeah, sleep training and um, those kinds of things to make it sound better, to make it sound okay. Mm. But all we're really teaching kids is that we value what they do more than who they are. Mm. Um, so we value their behaviour more. We're more concerned about how things look and what they're doing rather than who they are. So so often the things that we punish them for are either developmentally appropriate behavior, emotions that just overwhelm them because they're little kids and they don't have the ability to regulate their emotions yet and they need us to help them. Yeah, they've got to move them out. Absolutely. And that's what we're supposed to be there for. Um, uh, So, yeah, these are the sorts of things that we end up punishing them for. Um, is just for being kids and really what we need to do is come alongside them and either help them co- co-regulate their emotions with them or if they've done something like, you know, they've broken something or they've spilt the milk or whatever, they don't need, I mean, I don't think any parents would punish a kid for spilling milk, surely, but it's an easy example mm-hmm. Um you know, we want to teach them problem solving, don't we? Like, oh, the milk spilled and the glass broke. Like, what do we need to do now? Like, oh, and ask the kid and the, and the kid, oh, we need to clean it up, find a sponge. Like, or we need to find the broom or what do we need to do? And that's, they're the kind of skills that we're really wanting to teach our kids is problem solving. But as soon as we go to punish them or put them in timeout, 
they just go straight into their survival brain. Mm. And when they're in their survival brain, they can't think, they can't learn, no matter what lesson we think we're teaching. Mm. Um, So we really need to be connecting with them emotionally and making them feel safe and then teaching the lesson. And I often say to parents, like, there are very few things that where the lesson needs to be taught immediately, other than if they're running out into the street and we need to, you know, keep them safe. But the lesson could be taught the next day or an hour later or whenever, like it doesn't need to be right then and there. So I think, yeah, kind of gone around a little bit there, but it, it's such a big topic. Um, yeah. But there are some of the reasons why it just doesn't, it it doesn't have the long-term effect that we want it to. And the other thing that it does is that it just diminishes our connection with our kids. And that's really where our influence comes from. Mm. So when kids feel attached to us and they feel connected to us, they naturally want to please us. They do naturally want to follow our lead. Um, But when we're continually breaking that connection with these kind of punishments and things, then we're losing our power to parent. That's what Gordon Neufeld talks about. He talks about we're literally giving away our power to parent, our power to influence. And the more that we do that when they're little kids, once they become teenagers, how are we going to have any kind of influence left? And then we blame teenagers and say they're just terrible people and, you know, (laughs) hormonal and all that stuff. So true. Teenagers get such a bad rap and they are just at their neediest. They are, they need these mentors. They are yearning for them. They are reaching out for them. And quite often we, we can't see through the behavior for what they truly need. And it's devastating. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. And that's the thing. It's like that underneath every behavior is a need mm. and underneath every need is, you know, a feeling. And so it's really, we just look that punishment, that traditional discipline just looks at the behavior superficially. How do we stop the behavior? Um, it's like taking a Nurofen for a headache. Well, but really you were dehydrated, so you needed water. And the kid, what was going on for the kid? We really need to get to the need. And then, you know, reducing those meltdowns that are, you know, the more that you count one, two, three at the park for the kid, where you've just evoked alarm in that child Mm. and frustration and eventually that's going to come out and so they might come with you to the car and go home but then two hours later then there's a huge meltdown and that's residual from what we did earlier putting that child into alarm so um I kind of see connection parenting as it's it feels as though it takes more upfront um investment and time but in the long run I think it's so much easier and and you feel so much more connected to your kid. Yeah. Those first thousand, I was gonna say thousand days, but it's the, it's their whole childhood. And like you said, it can feel like sometimes you're so deep in the depths of just constantly talking and coaching and teaching and mentoring and but well, we've just reached, you know, eight and ten. And that's not to say that it stopped by any means, but by gosh, has it got easier. It is just suddenly and I know we've got the teenagers to come, <laughs> but I hope that those those years of all all of that talking and I hope hope that it comes out to to make that journey easier on them and on us as well. But it can feel hard. It can feel so repetitive, can't it? 
Yeah, definitely. And I we're at the same stage as you. Our son's nine now. And um, yeah, but it's, you know, like where I, I often talk about um, my son will say, like, it's not about getting it perfect. Like uh-huh. I, I threaten my son by accident all the time. Like I say, uh-huh. oh, you know, and but he'll pull me up on it, he'll, the mum. Uh-huh. That sounds like a threat. We don't do threats in our family. Oh, God, jeez. <laughs> I'm like, and in the moment, I'm like, ah, damn it. Now I've got to reword what I, how do I do that? But I'm like, isn't that awesome? Like when he's grown up, um, maybe he can avoid a few dysfunctional romantic relationships and he knows his boundaries and what he'll accept and what he won't accept and that blueprint for what relation, what healthy relationships should look like. Um, that it's not based on that kind of coercion um, between two people. So I think that can just make all the difference. Yeah. I remember my two or three-year-old, my youngest at the time, throwing back at me, my body, my choice, no sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Me going, what have I done? (laughs) Yeah. But being I get that kind of thing a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Being able to talk through it too, you know, and going, well, you know, sleep's for you. For you. Sleep is what you need. Sleep is, um, it's not a threat to sleep. You know, it's a gift. And, you know, talking about those things and, you know, being able to talk him out of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the biggest fears of parents is that, uh, is that if you're not doing, um, uh, you know, traditional punishments and threats and rewards and getting kids to behave and, you know, use their manners and do all the right things, um, then you're just being permissive, mm. but there's, there's an in-between zone. So it's not about not having any limits or boundaries. Um, but the way that we would hold a boundary is more like, like you need to decide what your boundaries are. Mm. And, and, and like you said, some of them might be negotiable because you might just have made up these boundaries based on what your childhood was. Yeah. And then your kid can question you on it because they feel like they can question you. And then you might go, actually, yeah, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. yeah, that can change or we can be flexible on it sometimes. But it's about holding when when you're kind of this authoritative or connected type parenting, it's more about holding a boundary. And then the, it's the kid's job to push up against that boundary. Mm. That's their job as a kid. They got to find where they find where those boundaries are. And then they can have an emotional meltdown. And then it's our job as the parent to be there when they're crying and look after their emotions. Like, oh, I know it's so disappointing. Like is it, that's so hard that we can't do that thing. I know you really wanted that. Like, so it's not about not having any boundaries and just letting kids do whatever they want. Like we have to be their guides. We're the grown-ups in this relationship, but it's about doing it in a respectful way um, rather than just my way or the highway, like while you're under my roof and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I think we forget sometimes as parents is that's what builds emotional resilience too. You know, I think sometimes they think they're by just telling them to essentially suck it up that that's building resilience when in fact it's doing the opposite because they don't learn to be comfortable in those really hard feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And then you talk about, you know, we'll be staring down those teenage years soon and um, well, what if one of their friends tells them to just do something? Like we want them to be able to say, well, no, like that that doesn't work for me. And they get to practice that with us. Um, 
where they get to practice that with us throughout childhood. And um, that's, that's what we're there for. Yeah. And to practice that questioning too, you know, if we, you know, not to just choose one historical event, but, you know, if we talk about Hitler and whatnot, and again, probably a bad example, but we need children to question things again, particularly in those teenage years to be, you know, where does this sit with my values and my ethics? And is this right for me? Not just what my group is doing as well. So if they can't be comfortable questioning us, how are they going to do that with their peers as well? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's plenty to question in the world right now. There's plenty that, you know, we need critical thinkers. We don't need people that just follow along with authority figures and just do what they're told. Like that's not where meaningful change comes from. Um, And yeah, I think for anyone listening to you, you know, they've already chosen a different kind of path, haven't they? (laughs) Like (laughs) These are the critical thinkers that are listening to this podcast because um, to go against the grain and to have the courage to do that. um, Yeah. And and if we can give that to our kids, I think that's such a gift. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of one of the hardest things about like choosing this type of parenting or, um, you know, not doing traditional discipline is that parents um, worry about then what other parents think or what other people think like, Oh, I've got such a disobedient kid or the kids having a meltdown in aisle five or whatever the, you know, the kids wild. wearing pajamas to the supermarket or yeah. whatever the thing is. Like, <laughs> oh, I've been there. It's, yeah. It's like just worrying less about what other people think and worrying more what, what your child thinks that they're, they're your most important critic. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 because they need to feel loved and accepted. Like you said, you've said this before, but to reiterate that, for who they are, not what they do, and it's their job to decide what they do in, in our culture as well. I think we forget that. They're their own little people. Just because something makes us feel uncomfortable doesn't mean that they feel uncomfortable. That's our uncomfortable feeling to sit with, not theirs. So that's something I've had to learn with, you know, with haircuts and clothing choices and things like that where I, I look at my child and go, homeless. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but happy and comfortable and feeling himself and that's my thing to sit with, not his. And that's the world to sit with, not his. And who am I to judge, you know? So, yeah. Thank yeah, God. I love they're, that. They're their best teachers, aren't they? My gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they sure are. <laughs> uh, Sounds like our kids would get along well. <laughs> yeah, I think they would. <laughs> uh, can you talk to us about last year's Raise Good Summit? And who were some of your favorite speakers? Who would you recommend we have a listen to? Oh, there it, it's so hard to choose. That's like choosing between who's your favorite kid, isn't it? <laughs> <So Like>, true. <laughs> <laughs> because I enjoy speaking to every yeah, all of this all of the speakers that I speak to. I mean, some of them just come with decades of wisdom, you know, like people like Dr. Gordon Newfeld or Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, who just um when you get a chance to talk to them, you're just wanting to absorb all of all of the knowledge and, and wisdom that they're sharing with you. Um, but then I love sharing conversations like with Fiona at Mama Matters, who's on the Gold Coast, um, and Tom at the Dad Vibes in the UK, who we just have real, honest, casual, easy conversations between a mum and a dad. So... I think, yeah, I'm just 
so grateful for everybody that I get to talk to. Um, and I learn something from everyone. I mean, we we're just talking about critical thinking, like Julie Bogart, um, you know, who's a huge advocate for homeschooling and um, other kind of education choices. She has her latest book, I think it's just called Raising Critical Thinkers. Um, and I loved her first book, The Brave Learner. Um, and she's just like, we just shared such an organic and easy conversation. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's hard to choose because there's just so many awesome people. And then, you know, I know that this, I live in Canada, um, but um, yeah, I just love chatting with Aussies because it's easy for me. <laughs> um, we we have a just a natural kind of easy casual rapport, I think, yeah. um, which I miss. So um, yeah, so there's always a bunch of Aussies that you know we had, um, and then I forget like which year was that podcast? Which, which oh, year did yeah, I have that speaker? That speaker, but. Yeah, I spoke to Dr. Pam Douglas and Dr. Sarah Buckley, both in Queensland um, this year. And yeah, I've spoken with Pinky before, who's just, yeah, she's just, she's just the queen of of motherhood, I think. And Maggie Dent, um, she wasn't on this year, but she was on the previous two years. And she's just always a dream to talk to. Um, so yeah, 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 she's fantastic. <laughs> and what I find most in this parenting space is that there's so little competition. Like we're all, you know, there's so many of us that are sharing similar messages or, you know, I've got a course on this and someone else has got a course on the same thing. And, um, but you know, our own takes on it, but everyone just is so generous and we just all cheerlead one another. Yeah. Um, because we've it, like, we were talking about at the start, it's just this passion for wanting to, help kids and help mums and dads and just infuse more joy back into parenthood and back into childhood. So yeah, Richard Louv as well, I would have to say. It was a dream to have him on. I I love Last Child in the Woods and all of his other books, you know, Vitamin N and um and he has a book out about animals as well, um, our wild calling. And so I had so much in common. I read that one. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. And so to talk to him was really, he'd been on my list for ages to want to speak to. And he was just amazing. So, yeah. So good. Now, if people want to access that, can they still? Yeah. Yeah. So that can just be found at all. Everything's on my website at raisegood.com. And then there's a, a summit section that you can access with all of the summits on there. Fantastic. Oh, what a plethora of, you know, mind opening and mind blowing information. And, and like you said, that every one of those people have a vision bigger than themselves. It's nothing. That's why it's so collaborative is that none of this is about us. It's all about making the world a better place and a, an easier place for children and, and animals. And I just think the more of us that can do that, the better off the, the world and the planet and our kids will be. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your work. Absolutely. Thank you for your advocacy. Oh, my pleasure. Your activism and for putting out all those, those good words and so heart-centered. I, th I think what I love most about your work is there is absolutely zero zero judgment and shame it is all so gentle in its approach and so lovingly and warmly gifted as a gift rather than I don't know set down or I don't know how to explain it but I the the nuance in your language is 
for, for someone that didn't love English is just so beautiful and I, I just <laughs> really, really appreciate it every time I go through your, your socials. So thank you for being a, a beautiful part of our parenting journey as well. Oh, thank you. No, it's my pleasure. And I think I, yeah, what I want most for parents is not like, I don't want everyone following my journey and doing thing, you know, doing what I'm doing. I just want to share like, here's a different way. Here's something that looks different. This is what it can look like. And I just want to empower parents to follow their own path, mm. you know, and I will be their biggest cheerleader. Doesn't matter, you know, if it looks like mine or not. Um, but it's just living that because I think authenticity, it really resonates from one person to another. Yeah. We can be totally different. You know, I'm vegetarian. My son loves bacon. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I cook it like because I can choose my path and he doesn't need to choose the same thing that I choose, you know, like it's his, it's his life. It's his, what he wants to do. Um, so I think um, we need more authentic souls in the world and we need more people to, um, to have the permission and the courage and the acceptance to be who they are as adults, which is what we're trying to give to our kids now. Um, but so many of us were raised for being praised for what we did and maybe that's why I ended up going and spending six years at university for vet school when maybe I should have just been doing something else, mm-hmm. you know, because of of what, what we think success looks like in our society. And that doesn't always bring the happiness. That doesn't always ring true to who we are and what lights us up inside. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think on, on continuing on that, I think when we go – into the schooling and the schooling path pretty much says university or TAFE or whatever, your technical college, it doesn't really spend much time on, hey, well, you can just pursue your passion and turn that into a business as well. Or you can go and volunteer somewhere for a long time, or you can go to internships and things. I think that's really missing because so many of us found our joy and our purpose in these niches that aren't covered by school. Um, and I know they can't cover everything. That's not a that's not a note on the school system. It's It would be great though if there was more space or maybe more advocacy for, you know, starting your own business. Because at a young age, what have you got to lose as well, starting your own business? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw a, like a, you know, I think, I think it might've been Maggie Dent actually might've shared it. It was like just, it wasn't a meme, but it was like a picture of a little nine-year-old kid yesterday on Facebook um, who was getting in trouble at school for doodling. Mm-hmm. And then he got hired by a chain of restaurants to create art for their walls of like all of his doodles and stuff. And they were so awesome. And I showed my kid and I was like, see, that awesome. Like uh, things that you might get in trouble for at school are like <laughs> the things that are like really valuable. Yeah. And that also that it takes, again, I saw this on your socials just this morning when I was going through them again, was it takes one one adult, you know, one adult to believe that the sun shines out of this child for them to believe and know that they are perfectly perfect just as they are, you know, and that those yeah, skills yeah. are what makes them them. It's not a bad thing. Well, Yeah, exactly. And I think that who they are thing that that's a quote by Pam Leo who wrote connection parenting that I read probably three times when I was a new mum. I just love that book. Um, uh, that, that who they are piece it's delighting in them just for the fact that they exist. 
like that there's nothing that they can do to make us love them anymore or any less, you know, at any point. And that's, that's how we really give them unconditional love. Um, everything else is conditional if we're, you know, praising them and doing all of those things, what we were talking about earlier. So I think I, I love that quote because it really highlights that, like just loving them for who they are, like just because they exist. That's it. They don't need to do anything. You've just re-inspired me. I did it for a very short period years ago, but as the boys went to bed when we would kiss them goodnight, I would say, you know, I love you just as you are for who you are. And they would, you know, just put them to sleep like that, you know, especially my youngest, grin from ear to ear and just that, <laughs> you know, you could just see the warmth flowing through him. And, you know, you just lose those practices sometimes. So thank you. That's going to be the kick up the bottom to bring that back into our night routine because oh nice I might do the same I'll do the same you've given me a kick as well (laughs) you know how good does it feel as an adult if someone just says that to us you know not because we did anything yeah yeah so I think we all need it we do don't we oh such a good reminder Tracy I actually forgot that we have rapid fire questions you can tell this is the first podcast (laughs) of the year (laughs) I was ready to sign off do you have time to go through the rapid fire yeah, go for it. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Thank you. I was like, oh, we're signing off. And then I was like, oh, my goodness. Here we go. <laughs> all right. This might be like choosing your favourite child, though. What's your favourite book of all time and why? Or what are you currently reading if that's too hard? Yeah, no, I, I've se- I've seen these before. I saw your questions earlier. And so I thought I would just go with the one that I'm reading at the moment because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hard to choose. Um, yeah, I just started reading Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown because I, I – I love all of her books. Um, I actually got it for last Christmas, but I hadn't read it. So I started reading that, but I also just finished The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It's been on my list for ages. And um, I finally read it over the Christmas break. And um, yeah, it was, it was really challenging actually, like challenging in the sense of like personally challenging to like, it's not a book that you can just read and then just pretend you didn't hear the words <laughs> it's like you it's um yeah you got to read it and then right so it's kind of really stuck with me and um uh but it's it's quite something that you kind of need to read some of the chapters twice to really get it but um yeah that power of now like just coming back to that now because you know we talk a lot about like simplicity and being in the moment and all that stuff so yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I'd, I'd recommend it. I got a voucher for Christmas for books. So I think, again, you've inspired me because that's been on my list for years. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready it's kind it. of one of, it's been on my shelf for ages. It's kind of one of those legendary books that people talk about. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I should have read it. I'm like, oh, I'll read it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. Any regrets? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where do you go? Or what do you do to reset after a rough day? Uh, just outside, outside, wherever I can, like where we live now. Um, I'm lucky we've got a couple of um, lovely lakes, one that has like about a 45 minute walk around it. So I love just getting out and walking and that's like a good amount of time for me to let most things go. <laughs> um, so just getting out into nature, getting into the trees, um, yeah, getting out into the mountains. Like we live near the mountains and we also live near the ocean. The ocean is probably um, – like that's my happy place um definitely is is being by the sea and just reminding myself like i think nature just reminds us that that things are so impermanent and that so many of our problems don't really 
like so many of our problems are impermanent when you're standing next to a tree that's 500 years old or something and you're like this tree's seen more um so yeah just getting out into nature I think can really just help to bring so much perspective mm. I it's so strange to when I think of Canada I don't ever think of the ocean I don't ever it's not something that I envision when I picture Canada so, where do you have a favorite beach where you are uh, well, we live, we just, we went to Tofino for our, um, for Christmas, which is where we typically go. So it's on the West coast of, um, Vancouver Island. So it's like, you can't get any further West in Canada. So you're right on the Pacific ocean. Um, and it's probably the most Aussie, um, like there's always a bunch of Aussies there working in, you know, the restaurants and things, not as many as Whistler, but, um, uh, it's a very like chill vibe, like that Byron Bay kind of um, place. And like just every time I go, there's always, I don't know if that these aren't in Australia, are they? But there's always people riding their bikes. They have these special hooks with surfboards that go on the side. Oh, and then and Byron, and they'll be they wearing do. a wetsuit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know that I've seen them wearing their wetsuits. <laughs> yeah. So there's just always people riding around yeah, with wetsuits and, and so, yeah, so there's big waves. Well, not big waves compared to Australia, but there's big waves um, there. So there's, yeah, surfers there. And, um, yeah, the beaches are beautiful. Like it's they're different, um, but you have the forest coming right down to the ocean and eagles soaring and you can see wolf footprints on the on the sand. Um, and you know, I can send you some documentaries actually, there's a really cool documentary on the coast and all of the animals that live by the sea and you can go out, um, you know, on boats and, and see black bears coming down to the, coming down to the water to turn rocks over to get clams or whatever. And, um, so yeah, it's a different kind of ocean. Yeah, oh, my eldest, his number one, his only bucket list for travel is Canada and he wants to see a wolf in the wild. I, said, oh, I don't know how we'll go about in the wild, but, yeah, my husband lived yeah. there for a season or two. So, I'd, yeah, we'd love to go over as a family at some point. It would be amazing. Yeah, mm. yeah. I have to go to Yellowstone. That's where I've seen them in the wild. Ugh. That's um, that down in, the, down in the States. Like that, they're easy to see there, particularly in winter because they're they're against the snow. But, um, yeah. I'll send you some photos of some Canadian beaches. Oh, that'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just going to have to change my snow trip from Japan to Canada on my wish list. We'll see how we go. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, <laughs> all right, if you had to just choose one thing to change about the education system, I know this is a loaded question, what would it be? <laughs> um, yeah, these are supposed to be rapid fire, aren't they? Oh, um, okay. so- I never ask. <laughs> we say it's rapid fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I think, yeah, God, it just needs to be blown up and start again, really, doesn't it? Like the the traditional education system, um, starting later for it to be play-based at least until the age of seven, eight, nine. Um, you know, we need to learn from the Scandinavians. Um, not forcing reading, you know, not, not that we force reading, but not encouraging it so young. Um, letting kids come to it when they're ready. Um, just being child-based 
getting rid of assessments, um, not stressing the hell out of kids. Um, they don't learn under those environments. Um, and like we were talking about earlier, like you and I don't want to work five days a week. Yeah. Why do kids have to go to school five days a week? And let's just be honest about it. It's so that it fits in with us going to work, yeah. um, not sending kids to school earlier. This obsession with like daycare and preschool starting like so early and normalizing that. Um I think, yeah, really valuing the family and and family systems, and yeah, there's there's too many things that that I would change. But um, you know, I love the work of Peter Gray. Um, you know, he talks about democratic schools and um, having kids more involved in you know making the rules at school. Um, Teacher Tom talks about that a lot too. I love that he does a lot of early education stuff. Um, so yeah, I think there's a long there's a long way to go, but I think, you know, programs like yours um, that can really help to challenge and show that there are different ways to do things um, and give choice. Um, a lot more time spent outside, not sitting at desks. Kids aren't designed to sit at desks for long periods of time. So many kids learn better when they're moving. Um so yeah, I think there's a lot that we need to do differently. <laughs> um, but yeah, change is coming, I think. I think it is. And I think I think I just, something just stuck with me then out of all of those things was the valuing of the family. I think a lot of parents put their children into daycare and and preschool because they think they're going to get more. You know, I think they think it's better for their children. They totally undervalue that attachment relationship and what they bring in in that calm home, that loving environment and how children don't need anything to be stimulated and to learn. I think we forget that. We think we need to provide all these things for them. So, yeah. Do you know of anyone that speaks to that? Um, Because I would love to delve into that more. Yeah. Let me have a think. Mm. Let me have a think. I think, um, but I, I think you touched on something that's really important there and which is that normalizing of of getting thing. I, I remember when by the time my son was about 18 months and, um, you know, I'd had friends, um, you know, that we sort of had babies at the same time and have play dates and do all that stuff and get together. And then they suddenly became less available because the kids were putting into daycare and doing all this stuff. And it wasn't always necessarily because, you know, like I've been working since my, since my son was little. Um, and and I know that you know daycare is is necessary for so many families, mm. um, and it's not to negate that um, at all, but not to make parents that that can be home with their kids think that somehow it's better for their kids to be away from them. Yeah. That's not the case at all. And I think normalizing that is doing a real disservice to families. Yeah, um, yeah, I find that really sad. And even financially, to to make a family feel as though they must send their child to daycare for the the betterment of their education at two or younger, even Ugh. and when you know most families can't can't afford it at that point, even with rebates here in Australia, like childcare is ridiculously expensive here. So, ugh, when yeah, be at home with their you know with their parents. Yeah, that's the best thing for them. That's, I mean, Nathan Wallace talks about that. Um, you know, that's that's one of the best, like, and, you know, Gordon Neufeld talks a lot about peer orientation and stuff. Like, 
kids are supposed to be orienting around us and learning from us, not learning from other two-year-olds who are equally as immature. And, you know, it might be fun for them to go play together and stuff, but we don't want them orienting around those kids because they're spending the majority of their time in that environment. Mm. Um, And we can avoid so many problems if they're oriented around us, um, Mm. around the adults in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That was, you delved into it just how I needed to be delved into. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. Uh, And lastly, where can we find out more about your work? We've covered your website, so hit us with your socials and uh, anything else you'd like to add. Yeah, everything everything is raised good. Um, so website is raisegood.com and then my Instagram is just at raisegood. Uh Facebook is um at raisegood blog. Um and they're they're the main places really is um I'm probably most active on Instagram um and and still pretty active on Facebook. I also have a Facebook group um if if people want to join that and I have a membership that I'll be launching in February, which I'm really excited about. So that'll be fun. Exciting. Oh, that's super exciting. Um, I wish you best of luck with that because I think it's so needed. But not just needed, I think it's I think people want it. And I think that's more important. I think they're looking for that community of like-minded parents. So again, thank you for providing that for people that are looking for it. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm excited about it. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of like one of those um yeah, it's stepping. Yeah, stepping into community and just making making parents feel more supported and less alone and um yeah. So I'm I'm really excited for it. It's it's kind of a new chapter at Raise Good, so it'll be fun. Uh I'd say good luck, but you won't need it. It's just that's super exciting. Thank you so <laughs> much for coming on and spending the time with us today. It's so nice talking to to people that get it and that people, you know, activists and change makers um, who use their voice, like you said, to help help people and animals that don't have those voices. So thank you for being a lighthouse in in our wildlings family and and further along as well. Hope you have a wonderful start to the 2023 and can't wait to see where your membership in, and Raise Good goes. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I seriously love this community. Even after all these years of parenting, it's just still so great to be reminded that, you know, that we're all just still in the same boat and that those early years are hard. (laughs) If you're going through them right now, I see you, I feel you. It does, does get easier, particularly when the sleep starts coming back. I can't even tell you how much of a difference sleep makes, but it will happen and like they always say, it goes by in the blink of an eye. The, the days are long, 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 and the, the years, the years just go. I love that reminder from Tracy today that putting in the hard yards now with gentle parenting, as I know how hard it is, and I know it can seem relentless at times, and how much we just crave that quick fix sometimes, and how hard it is to hear, whether it's the whinging or the nagging or the, the tantrums. But if you put in those hard yards now, it will really help make our children's lives and our own much easier in the long term, not just as children, but as fully functioning, wholly feeling and adults that can sit in those uncomfortable feelings. So won't turn to things to numb those feelings or distract those feelings as much. So, oh, so much. What else did I love? I loved the reminder that building 
that trusting and respectful relationship with my children versus that conditional parenting relationship, that it will help my children become problem solvers. And ultimately, that's what we want as adults, because that in turn builds resilience and confidence and helps them develop a moral conscience. If nothing else, that's what I want for my children and will help them take responsibility for their actions, which I think I'm going to genderize here, but particularly some of the man boys that we see have a lot of difficulty doing and that positive parenting really helps encourage that healthy brain development, that healthy emotional intelligence, that awareness of feelings, the ability to articulate what those feelings are. I needed that reminder, you know, with the silly season having just been and gone. Um, it's always a harder season, I think, as a parent, as joyous as it is as well. Two truths can be the same at the same time. You know, it can be joyous and it can be hard. It can be adrenaline-filled and exhausting as well. So thank you, Tracy, for that reminder. So if you'd like a little help with that nuance of language to help form positive relationships with your kids, because so often I think that it does come down to our choice of words, other than, you know, that pause, which I'm still learning to try and do, it comes down to that nuance of language. Then head over to wildlingsforestschool.com backslash free-downloadables and you'll get our free words of validation printable. It's so good. I, it comes off of my fridge every now and then and then I put it back up and it's just that gentle reminder whenever I go to the fridge so that it sticks in my brain better and it, it does. It makes me a better parent. And lastly, I really, really love the reminder that our children are not here to make other adults feel better about themselves or their old parenting choices and that the only parenting critic that matters is your child and how your parenting choices impact your relationship. So today I'd like to leave you with something different to end with, a question maybe to ponder as we say goodbye. And please, no judgment on yourself, no shame on yourself. Please just answer this question in your mind with awareness and nothing more. There is no judgment here. And the question today is, do your parenting choices make your child feel loved and accepted for who they are? I'll just repeat that question again so that you have time to sit with it. Do your parenting choices make your child feel loved and accepted for who they are, not what they do or how they behave? And until then, stay wild. Mm-hmm.